The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. I entitled this this morning called Empowering the Saints, Encouragement for the Individual Believer. We've talked about the aspect, we've talked about this continual aspect of what it means for the church, and we talked about the Big C Church, which is the universal church, it's all believers, and then we have the the local gathering, which I, it's why of the Big C Church. It's called, we always use the little C. It's a local gathering. We've talked about that aspect, and we've talked about it more of a, in a corporate sense, means us together, right? Whether we, however we gather, whoever gathers, as long as two or more are gathered in his name, that type of aspect, we've talked about it in a corporate sense, us together. But what does that mean for the individual? And this is what it comes down to. And so, these are some thoughts that just the Lord has just kept continue to work with me and work through with me. Um, this process, um, I always love to hear when someone says, "You know, I'm not complete. I'm not finished with my understanding on this. This is where God's brought me to at this point. I'm not complete with some other areas. We're we're getting there. I'm trying to work those things out." And as, I, as God really helps me understand more, that's when I bring it forward. I don't want to bring a half, uh, halfway idea or halfway uh, doctrinal teaching. I really, there's some aspects of some things regarding this I think we can go further with, but I think this is one of those places that we need to see. So Jason Sanchez they, was here a couple weeks ago. He actually visited with us, and he made this post, and, and it also includes a quote by a gentleman. I want to read this to you. He says, I can't help but think that if the church, the Big C Church, would abolish the ideal of a higher class of Christian clergy and unleash the priesthood of all believers to preach a full-orbed gospel for all of life, how much the kingdom of God would advance. Instead, many are stuck in a monastery called the Institutional Church. Clerical celibacy and monastic vows, this is a quote from Philip Schaff, we'll see, Monastic vows deprive the church of the services of many men who might have become shining stars. On the other hand, it has been calculated by Justice Moser in 1750 that within two centuries after the Reformation, from 10 to 15 millions of human beings in all lands owe their existence to the abolition of clerical celibacy. Now I want you to think about this. You take this aspect, and this is a... This is what we're thinking that as you think through this, we have a form a a uh, a form of celibacy in the church today. And what that means is it means this monastic celibacy means all that all that happens and all that gather all that happens and all that matters and all that is the focus of the church is what happens within the walls of the church. And so what it does, it creates a form of uh, a lack of procreation spiritually. There's no there's no building on that because the life of the church happens within the walls of the church. And what happens? 
is what you find in most churches today. It doesn't matter which denomination you go to. What you're going to find is the plateaued or declining churches. Why is that? Well, because what happens is is only one thing can happen is death. If, if you're not recreating, procreating, making disciples, what happens? It's just going to die. And it's going to start plateauing to the place. And what you saw, if you look at the study of history, and I don't have a chance, as you see that churches began changing the emphasis, and what happened was the majority of those who went to church were women. And so the whole focus and the whole pantheon, I mean, you could say a pantheon of, of, the, of purpose for the church was aimed at women and children. And so men, what happened? More and more marginalized to the point that they have no place in the church except on, on holidays they get in their nice shirt and come to church with their wife and their children and show up. Easter, Christmas. There's no purpose for the men in the church at that point in time. So what we had was a spiritual death. And what we're seeing today is a revival and what we're praying for is a revival in the church that is greater than none other. And and honestly, this revival is being fought by the church more than it is by those outside the church. And so that's what kind of... this is, You're going to see what my thinking is in just a moment, what God has just been just constantly... And I'm going to share even a, a statement that one of my workers made this week. That means he's getting it. So... Here's the thing. First thing this morning, and it looks like not much notes, but there's a lot of Scripture this morning. I'm just going to tell you, a lot of Scripture. <laughs> I ain't messing with you on this one. The first thing is, there must be biblical consistency in our message. Now, I don't know if any other pastors are going to end up listening to this or anybody in the church is you know, outside this local gathering is going to to listen to this this morning. But one thing I want to key in on, there must be biblical consistency in our message. And I'm going to rehash some scripture verses that we've gone over the last few the last 5 weeks. 1 Peter 2:9 says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood." For what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We teach this. We teach Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. That, and what? Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, command, to obey everything I've commanded. We teach this, Romans 10. Verses 14-7, How can they call on Him that have not believed? And how can they, are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We tell people how beautiful are those who go and proclaim the gospel to the nations. Matthew 9, 35-38, we preach this in our churches. And Jesus went through all the, the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in His harvest. I have heard this passage of Scripture preached all my life. It's always with a mission's emphasis. It's all about going and making disciples. Pray that God will send more and more out into this harvest field to work. 
That's what we preach from the pulpit in our churches. And I'll even say this, and I can say this, almost every Baptist church that I've ever been, I've heard this passage preached at least once a year, if not more in a year's time. At every revival service that they would have, and they'd have these week-long things, a preacher would get up and they would talk about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and, and try to revive it, our dead church and try to call them back to action, those who are, who are laying up in spiritual hospital beds. We preach this, this, this through this sermon series, Ephesians 4. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What do we say? So that we can no longer be, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We preach it that we are to be equipped by the church. Why? Don't answer that. <laughs> but Why? Why do we spend so much time and emphasis on telling people what they're called to do and then when they do it, they're told, wait, 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 hold on, within these parameters. Titus 2, 1-8 through But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women... Likewise, they are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. What's the point? You go and you preach. He tells him, Titus, is, he's telling, Titus you preach and you teach and you do these things. And, and before the older and the older men and women, and they have a responsibility to teach and also model before the younger men. Do these things. It seems like there's this giving away and a giving away and a giving away of, of not only teaching and equipping the people to do it, but there seems to be this building and building of the community of Christ when they gather together to do these things. So what? That the Word of God, so that the Gospel ministry of Christ will not be maligned. And then we hear this other passage, oh so familiar once again to missions realms, Isaiah 6. My mind doesn't shut down, by the way. I, sometimes I do this in my sleep. And I'm going to read you the whole context. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and train, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I 
am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and the ears heavy, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? How long shall I go until cities lie waste? without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned up against again, like a terebinth or oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. We hear these messages of of God calling His people out, and yes, I know, I, I know Isaiah is a prophet, but please understand this. In the context of what you heard preached, of those who proclaim the truth, who proclaim the good news, and what God has called us to do, and you hear a message like this, that God says, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah's answer is, Here I am, send me. And he says, How long? Until there's nothing else left but the remnant of God's people. See, there must be proclamation an exhortation to obey and fulfill God's commands in Christ Jesus. There must be the proclamation, but there must be obedience to God's commands in Christ Jesus from the individual. It's one thing for he say, yes, we go and we gather that we might hear proclamation, we might be equipped, but the purpose of the equipping is to what? To do the actual work. It's about the individual doing the very commands of God. I... I, I, I read the passage of Scripture this morning because in the midst of all those things, there is no excuse for the believer, especially once he has known, once she has known, once she's been taught, there's no excuse for us to go, I didn't know. And there's that place of the proclamation. There's a response to that proclamation and obedience, not to the one proclaiming, but to the very Word of God. But there must be no limitation or restrictions placed on how far the obedience to God's command in Christ Jesus are to go. And this is what happens. We profane these pulpits Sunday after Sunday when men proclaim and call men to obey God's Word and then when they obey God's Word we say you're gone too far. You haven't been ordained so you can't go there. You don't have the authority to speak on that because you're not one of us. And what we do is we limit men, we limit the kingdom of God in its advance for the sake of self-pious behavior, self-righteous behavior. So I can say, I'm an elder and you haven't attained it yet. And I'll let you know when you get close. It's ridiculous. And I don't care. There's these young men who are going on. They're elders in a church that they have started. It's convenient. It's convenient to be the authority when you start the church. But the reality is, 
That is not about a session to decide whether someone is ready to proclaim the gospel in the streets. If God has called you as His own, He gives you the call to go and make disciples and to proclaim it. He doesn't say if and when you get to a certain place, you have a certain certificate, a certain ordination, a certain license. He says, go and do it. One of my workers said this week plainly regarding the church, And what people are to do, he says, you don't obey the commands and demands of the local church. You obey God and His Word. That's why I said, I think this Christian Reconstructionism stuff is finally starting to rub off on him. Because he was saying, this guy believes this crazy talk. His church is telling him how, his church teaches that his wife's not allowed to talk to any other man. His wife can't do anything except just stay home, stay in the kitchen. Take care of the house. She does. If she walked outside and he got, he said, this is what happened. She walked outside and there were workers there. She walked outside to offer him glasses of water and he came home and saw her talking to them and he said, get in the house. And he said, that he said, my church, that's what we believe. And he said, your church doesn't have any authority over your household. God does. See, we have to have biblical consistency. Secondly, God has gifted His church by the Holy Spirit. God has gifted His church by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read you a scripture in full context so there's no question about what this is talking about. 1 Corinthians 12. We've been all over the place. Chapter 14. We've been in 15. We've been all over the place in this context of this mess, this sermon series. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know what this is about. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So I want you to understand something. When someone comes to you and says, Well, my Spirit tells me this, and your Spirit tells you that, hogwash. There's one Spirit, and the Holy Spirit cannot be divided. Secondly, it says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service. Ways that those gifts are used, but there's the same Lord, meaning the same one who gives oversight and headship to that service. And there are varieties of activities. There are many things that happen, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So important to hear this passage of Scripture. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit not for my individual good, but for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another by faith, another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits called discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues under ability to speak languages. To another, the interpretation of those languages. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as 
He wills. Just to stop for a moment, who gifts the church individually? The Holy Spirit. It's not the role of the church to determine the very service that you are to give or the giftedness that you have and determine which alley or which lane you have to stay in. For just as the body is one and has many members, and listen carefully, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Though the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, listen carefully, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And you know what? Everyone thinks of the local church when they think of this, but that's where we go astray. We think that the local church, our church, is the only church. And and you know what? We're looking for people to meet all these needs, but the reality is it's the big C church. And the part is, is God is equipped and He is given by His Holy Spirit different aspects, different gifts. For the sake of His kingdom. And the problem is, is the reason why the church down the street doesn't have everything it needs is because it's not all there. But when we try to work alone and we try to do things alone and we encompass the church and the work of the church within the monastery of our local institutional church, nothing is accomplished as God had planned it because the spiritual gifts aren't there. The giftedness and the ability is not there. And then we, the, what happens is we make false manifestations of those gifts. And we have people doing things that they have no business doing. They're not equipped to do. God has not called them to do. But they're doing it because it is lacking. And that is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why most churches were, are, are full, were full of more women than anything else. We have women starting up and going to roles that God never intended them to be because there's not a man there to fill it. But the, we, the whole purpose of that was we had taken other things away. We had made it a place that was not, not palatable for a man to even come forth. I'm sorry, <coughs> but it looks more like a funeral parlor or more churches with all the flowers, or a tea, a little lady's tea setting, every time they go to church, more than it is a place for men to come and, and, and partake of the gospel, to digest it, and go out and battle for the kingdom of God. You are the body of Christ. You're individually members of it. And God is appointing the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? No. And for someone to think that a pastor and elder is capable of doing it all, and that's how the church is supposed to be, to, to be lined up. Well, he is the man. He has all the categories. He has all the spiritual gifts. Therefore, he is the one who leads us by example of what these things are. No. What does it tell us? This is the key phrase. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does that mean? 
It's not only that you desire them. Kiddos, it's not only that you desire to know the Word of God. Think about this. If you were to desire those things, and we are commanded in God's Word to desire those things, that means we can attain those things. And it didn't say a special group of elite priests. He's talking to the church of the living God. He's talking to the, what? Did he say the Levites or the Levitical priesthood? No. He's not talking to Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law, those who who preached in the synagogues. He's not talking to them. He's preaching to what? The church. The people. The body. It says the body. You're all a part of the body. You're a member of it. You're in Christ Jesus. We must also, A, we must remember who the head of the church is. So all the people in this ecclesiology debate need to be understand this one point. They are not the head. It doesn't matter if they're a pastor. It doesn't mean if they're, it matter if they're an elder in their church. They are not the head of the church. Never once is the elder or the pastor ever recognized as the head of the church. It's interesting for me to look at this, but two passages in Ephesians. Remember what we just read a while ago, one of those passages we looked it was He, Christ, who gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Well, back going down to verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Paul goes even further in writing to the Ephesians. He gives a great, beautiful illustration to let you know something about the Christ and His church. And in Ephesians 5, he, he usually says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And if you really looked at it, if I had put it on this, the full things, full aspect of this, it goes on to say... I. What I'm talking about is Christ and His church, but also wives should respect their husbands. He's talking about Christ and the church. Who is the head of the church? Christ alone. Thirdly this morning, we must obey God at His word and not man when they don't. I'm about to read a passage of Scripture, and I'm not alluding to this, that these men and others are lost and are, and are perishing and going to hell. I'm not saying that. I want you to understand this concept. I believe they're very confused. I believe they're deluded, delusional in their thinking. I do not believe they're lost. But the fruit of their labors will be revealed soon. And I believe it's the same fruit of the labors that we find in Matthew 23. And Jesus opposed the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want you to listen to all of Matthew 23. I want you to listen to the parallels of these who are over, uh, lording over rather than than holding to a biblical view of, of the church gathering and the eldership that is there. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Now before I go on, I want you to hear this. In this passage, which I, this point that I just made for you, we must obey God at His Word 
It's imperative. And so when many a times when these men are up, whether they're preaching or in their small group and they're teaching, whatever they're doing, they're preaching the Word of God and we need to listen to the Word of God. And we, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, regardless of how sinful they might be or wrong in some of the other thinking, when it comes to the preaching of God's Word, when they preach the Word of God, we must obey God at His Word. That's what Jesus is telling them. Listen, they have a place of authority. They sit on Moses' seat. <coughs> they have a responsibility to proclaim the Word of God. So do and observe and observe and obey whatever they tell you regarding the Word of God. But don't do the works. Don't do the actions that they do. For they preach one thing and they do another. Or they tell you to do it and they don't do it. See, it goes on in verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Facebook. That's all I'm going to say. Facebook. It's hard to be... It's easy to be righteous on Facebook. They put... They, they, but they're not willing to move faith. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad... And their fringes long. Flactories were little boxes that contained scripture that they. Remember, God, when we talked about Deuteronomy 6, you keep it on the best frontlets between your eyes. In Deuteronomy 6, he says to, to, write, to train your children the way they should go. Keep it as frontlets as between your eyes at the forefront of your mind. They were phylactery boxes that had scripture. They they make their phylacteries big, and then they had tassels on their garments. These are they pray and they go through. And even Jesus wore a shawl that had the tassels on. But they make their tassels really long. So when they pray in the streets, what would they they do? This they pray and open up their prayer shawl and their tassels. This would hang long so everybody could see how awesome and amazing they are, and 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 how close to God they are. They love the place. They, their phylacteries are broad and their fringes are long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Teacher, but you're not to be called rabbi. This is Jesus speaking. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man father on earth Hence why priests have an issue. For you have one Father, capital F, who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors or teachers. For you have one instructor, Christ. The greatest among you is not the one who's read the most books, who has the biggest library, who can quote all of John Calvin's institutes. No, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go would enter would, would go, uh, enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much as a child of hell as yourselves. 
Jesus was all about love and kindness. He never spoke up. Yes, he did. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So you give your life and all that you receive to the ministry, but when it comes to justice, when it comes to mercy and faithfulness, you neglect those things with others. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, guides, Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. So you have the most beautiful goblet, you have the most beautiful plate or bowl, and on the outside it's ornate, but on the inside it's full of nasty garbage. Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus the witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill and crucify, and some whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on your on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. I'm going to stop there. I want us to think back through this, this point. We must obey God at His word and not men when they don't obey God's Word. That's right. The truth is, is most of these men in their pulpits ought ought to be resisted. And they ought to be called out. And they ought to be removed. Because what they do is they are dependent on someone listening to them. They're dependent on people hanging on their very Word. 
many years ago, God began a process in me that I knew that I could be, I could have been fired at any moment from the former church when we were a Baptist church. I stood in that pulpit and I said, this might be the last sermon I preach in this church, but I'll preach every sermon as if it's the last I preach. Because the thing is, if you're concerned whether or not you're going to get a paycheck, regardless, because based on what you say, what you're preaching, what we want, what, what happens is we're worried about whether we're to obey men or God. Men who hang, have desire to have people hang on their very words are not godly men. It is my desire that people don't hang on my every word, but they hang on every word that comes from God because it's flawless, it's infallible, it's useful for all things. What happens is those who, who, who stand before others, and you're going to hear this, my pastor's this, and my pastor's that, I'm not your pastor. I'm your brother in Christ. I would hope that any one of you, a pastor shepherds his flock, leads in God, when, when people, are, when they're going off and going astray, they call them back. I would hope that it would be the same thing for me if I were going astray and I were going off target and off track, that someone would be man enough to speak up. You can't do that when there's one at the top and everybody's below. Oh yes, some churches have their other ses- their session with other elders. But usually, that pastor, that elder, that lead elder, they have double voting rights. So if you only have three guys, it's a, it's a 50-50 split because the pastor gets two votes. And you think that's not true? That's usually how it is in most of those churches because he has double honor. That's what Scripture says. But when these men of God oppose men and women of God of doing what God has called them to do, what is the response to be? I mean, whether someone just goes downtown Houston and is preaching on the streets, sharing the gospel and calling people to repent and to live a life under God, under Christ that He has called us to do, or someone standing in front of an abortion clinic and preaching the gospel and calling and trying to rescue those babies, or they're going to a baseball game and doing the same. It doesn't matter where you go or just in your work life saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's stealing or that's not that's not kosher according to the Word of God. It's not edifying to the Lord. It doesn't glorify Him. I can't do these activities. I can't do this type of thing. Whether it be baking a cake or printing a document, it doesn't matter. If men and women stand on those principles and their pastor says, by what authority do you do that? What do you do? When the church says, I won't back you going and preaching. I won't back you in this ministry. I won't back you in that because you're not ordained. You haven't gone through enough education. I've been educated both by the church and by the world. And I'm going to tell you right now, none of them equip me to do anything I do to this day. The Lord alone by His Holy Spirit. And that's not prideful. It's not me. It's all Him. What do you do? Acts 5. When they brought them in, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Speaking of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on the tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We must obey God at his word. And we don't obey men when they don't obey God's word. When they command us to do what God forbids or forbid us to do what God commands. See, it comes back around this full full orb circle. What's the purpose of the preaching in the pulpits if you're if you constantly say this is the role, this is the purpose of of every believer, of every person, and then you turn around and say this is what God's commanded, but only under my authority? It's an atrocity, and it must be repented of. Well, those men need to be removed from the pulpits. If the first thing that I hear from someone's mouth, well, my pastor says this, I say, well, last time, last time I checked, your pastor wasn't Jesus. And unless he's the Lord Jesus Christ, your pastor can be wrong. Well, he's the one who led me to Jesus. Wrong thing number two. Your pastor didn't lead you to Jesus. Jesus led you to himself. But I'm going to tell you, a man can lead a person to a version of Jesus, but they can't lead him to the right one. Only God can do it. That's why we have so many other... Hey, I'm not going to go off target here. We must obey God rather than men. We must understand that if you hear from my mouth, you have a responsibility to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That if I come to hinder you in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in any other in any way, that you need to call me out on it. If I hear you preaching a, a gospel that's different than the one that was preached from Scripture, I'll call you out on it. But as long as you're going and doing what God has commanded you, I will back you up, I will spur you on, I will encourage you, and pray that the Holy Spirit empowers you for every good work. And it's by these things that you're going to see true revival in this land, true revivals in these communities, true revivals in our homes and our families. That's where it happens. Not just when they come together, but as they go out. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.